Right, our teaching this morning is going to come from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, which I think are just some of the most beautiful verses in the whole Bible. Um, this is God's Word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, but because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. And more than that... We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Say at the outset a public thank you to uh, Walt Davis and uh, Matt and to Adam Venable uh, and to Joe Johnson for uh, preaching while I was away on vacation. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things and... I'm really thankful that you were in good hands while I was away, and I'm really glad to be back. Um, especially, even though I was here last week, uh, I definitely missed getting to uh, speak from the scriptures to you, and especially uh, I'm excited about where we are in our current series. And if you're visiting, or perhaps you just would like an update on where we are, we this year and next year we are in the midst of a series looking at uh, the book of Genesis and the book of Romans, and in many ways, when you step back and look at them, they're, they're wonderful conversation partners. And uh, where we've been, we looked at Genesis 1 through 11 and the story of God's good creation and how it all fell apart and how humanity re- rebelled and sinned against God. And after that, we switched over to Romans 1 through 3 and looked at how Paul picks up that very same theme and shows how all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and explains our great need for God's justification, for His saving grace. And then we looked back at Genesis 12 through 25 and the story of Abraham and God's promise to bless the nations through him. In many ways, God in that story of Abraham is starting over. And we discover that Abraham is the man of faith. And it's not that he's such a great guy, that he's significant in the Bible. And we looked at Romans chapter 4 the last two weeks, and Abraham again features as a central figure in Paul's understanding of what it means. How are we justified? What is the way of justification? And he explains that it's by faith and not by works. And today, when we come to Romans 5, we're going to look at what are the fruits of justification? 
When you as a sinner put your faith in Jesus and are justified, what does God unleash in your life? What are the results and the fruits of justifying faith? That's what we're going to look at today. And before we look at the specifics, I want to remind us again, what is this this idea, this concept that's so central to Paul's teaching in Romans that he calls justification. And the simplest way I know to describe it is it is God's declaration, God declaring you to be righteous in his sight by faith in Jesus. Now, what might that mean? I found these words from uh, John Stott helpful to, to flesh this out just a little bit. He says, when God justifies sinners, he is not declaring bad people good or saying that they are not sinners after all. He is pronouncing them legally righteous, free from any liability to the broken law of God. Because he himself, in his son, has borne the penalty of their law-breaking. Now, here's what I want you to understand. To be justified, to be declared righteous before God, does not mean that you are now, in your heart and in your behavior, righteous. That's what the Bible calls the work of sanctification. What Paul is talking about here, justifying faith, is how does God see you? Not because of who you are today, but because of who Jesus was, is, and will be for you. Another way to put it, justification is God looking at you as perfectly righteous and beautiful and holy as he looks at Jesus, his beloved son. That is justifying faith. Now, why is this so important? Why does Paul talk about this so much? And the answer to that is because it is only this free justification that can overturn your doubts. Adam last week did a great job of drawing out the reality of our own doubts. How hard it is to believe or to overbelieve our unbelief. And it is this free justification alone that can overturn your doubts and fill your life with joy and confidence no matter what life brings. How is that possible? And that's where the fruits of justification come in. And we're going to see three things here today. We're going to look at these fruits of justification first. Then we're going to look at the path to glory. And then we're going to finish with the love of God. So the fruits of justification, the path to glory, and the love of God. First, let's look here at the fruits of justification. And lest I forget to mention this, and I'll probably say it many times, these fruits build on one another. And first, what we see here, the first fruit, if you will, comes here in verse 1. You notice he begins, since therefore we have been justified by faith. So Paul is looking back now. 
he's reflecting on this free justification. And he says, since that's true, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Now what that immediately ought to raise in your mind is that must mean there was a time when we were not at peace with God. That we've been alienated from Him. That our relationship that God originally designed and intended for us to flourish in with Him has been broken. So what does Paul here mean by peace with God? Peace here does not mean my peace of mind. It does not mean a lack of anxiety or fear or angst or nervousness in my own experience. That is not what Paul is talking about. When he talks about peace with God, he is describing and defining our new relationship to God. Now, why does this matter? We'll look it down at verse 10. There at the early bit there in verse 10, it says, we were enemies. The reason this fruit is so important is because we were God's enemies. Now, what does that mean? It does not mean primarily here that we don't like God or that we've rebelled against God, though that is very much true, and Paul's talked about that. What he is talking about here is that we are God's enemies, that he looks at us irrespective of what we think or thought about God as his enemies. Paul is saying here that we were God's enemies and God had to do something to be reconciled to us. I don't know if you ever thought about that. But if you really want to understand the beauty and the power and the glory of the gospel, you've got to come to grips with God, apart from his saving grace, sees or saw you as an enemy of his. As deserving his holy and just wrath. That is crucial to understanding the good news. And here Paul is telling us that peace with God matters because we were his enemies. Now, how does God turn us from his enemies into his friends? Look here, verse 1. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here, it is through Jesus that we are reconciled to God. Look down, verse 10. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Now, here's an obvious point, but I have to say it. We are not reconciled. We don't enter into peace with God through our own loyalty, through our own faithfulness, through our own diligence, through our own even trust. No, we are reconciled by Jesus. And I want you to notice something here as we're talking about justification, this great gift, this great benefit of salvation. 
Paul again and again uses this phrase throughout this passage through Jesus Christ. Verse 1, we just looked at it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Verse 9, if you drop down, we have now been justified by his blood. It is through Jesus' cross that we are justified. Verse 10, we are reconciled through Jesus Christ by his death on the cross. All of this comes to us through Jesus. So we have peace with God, but what's more than that? We have a new standing with God. Look verse 2. Again, through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace what's in, in which we stand. What's he saying here? Again, he's building here. This fruit of justification means to be at peace with God means that he brings you near. That you are now fully accepted. You have a new status. Paul even says a new standing, a position. He describes your present life as standing in grace. The opposite of which would be to stand in judgment. Now, this is going to be really important to hang on to as we move through this and look at the path to glory. This is a permanent, irrevocable standing. When God says that you are at peace with him, it means he has welcomed you into his very throne room, into his presence. And you have a status and a standing there that can never, ever be taken away from you. We have a new standing, a new status, but not only that, we have a future hope. Look here. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, when the Bible talks about hope, it's not wishful thinking. It is always rooted and anchored in what has God done. It's a firm and certain hope. And Paul says, here we have a future hope where we look forward to that great day when the glory of God is revealed, when faith gives way to sight, when God fulfills all of his promises and we see Jesus as he really is and we are fully conformed to his image when there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. Now, what I want you to notice here before we move on to the path to glory are these three beautiful words of justification, of peace. You've been reconciled. This broken relationship with God has been righted. We have grace. You now live in permanent in a permanent state of acceptance and favor with him and glory. We now live with a firm and certain hope looking towards our final destiny. This is a full and complete salvation. Now, why, again, is that so important? Because when we move to the path to glory, Paul says something here in verse 3, 
that is pretty unusual and I think counterintuitive. He says, not only all those things, not only that. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, if you were just skimming by this, you might think Paul had a death wish and just really enjoyed being um, in the midst of pain and felt like, hey, the more pain I experience, the closer I am to God, the more devoted I am, the more I'm proving my loyalty. This is not a masochist. Paul is not here describing this sickness of finding pleasure in pain at all. What he is saying is that he's describing the reality of life as you and I know it. These sufferings literally mean pressures. It is a catch-all term for life this side of heaven. It is our daily experience of living in a broken, fallen world, of having to deal with indwelling sin every day, that breathes lies and deception and sows sorrow and difficulty into our lives. These sufferings are descriptive of what what it's like to live in a world that loves everything that God doesn't love, that's opposite to him. And Paul is saying, there is something so radical about this justification, these fruits of justification, that it radically changes our outlook. In fact, listen to how Jesus speaks to his disciples in John 16. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or sufferings. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What Paul is saying here is way more radical and honest and realistic and hopeful than any self-help suggestion that's out there. This is a, 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 a way of living and understanding your place in the world that is honest and realistic and yet full of joy and hope. Jesus is saying that suffering is the path to glory. It was so for him, and it is so for all of his followers. But what I want you to see here in these verses 3 and 4, that justifying faith, what it gives us is a hope and a joy that nothing in this life can take from you. Let me say that again. The fruits of justification, the work of Jesus, gives you a hope and a joy that nothing in this life can take from you. How does Paul make that point? Look what he says. There is an unbreakable chain that Paul gives us here that encompasses all of our experience, our daily experience of life in this world. He says, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. You see, what Paul wants you to see here is that God is at work 
in your sufferings, in the realities, in the trenches of your life, and he is bringing good out of them. Now, this is one of those moments where, you know, I try, I try often really hard to think about ways to illustrate this or tell it to you because what I fear is you hear me say that, that God is at work in the midst of your sufferings and he's going to bring good out of them. It's one of those platitudes. But I also have to say to you, that's a biblical truth based on this passage. And my question to you is, do you believe that? Have you ever discovered how the work of Jesus sets you free to rejoice in what God is doing in your life right now, even in your pain? Because here's the thing. Suffering is not a deviation from God's plan. It is at the very heart of God's plan. How do you know that? The cross of Jesus. At the very heart of God's good news for the whole world, which is what this letter is all about, is the suffering of Jesus for sinners. And it is through that suffering that he brings about beauty and goodness for you. And he promises to do the same thing through your sufferings. You see, Jesus' sufferings are the answer to our sufferings and the source of our joy here and now. Now, why is this so important for us to understand? You see, because Paul is writing, and he understands that he's writing to people like you and me, whose lives are shot through with guilt, with shame, and with doubts. And he understands that as important as this rich, deep theology really is, you actually need more than that. And God gives more than that. We need to see and experience God's love. You need to see and experience God's love. That's why we read from Psalm 136. It's why we're going to sing at the end of the sermon... Oh, love that will not let me go. Paul understands that there's no amount of theological knowledge or uh, philosophical argumentation that can truly set you free from your guilt, shame, or your doubts. The only thing that can do that is the love of God. And how do we see that here? First of all, I want you to see that God shows his love for us. In other words, he proves his love. To you. How does he prove his love to you? Look in verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us. Now, in the original language there, that his, that pronoun his, is emphatic. What does that mean? That means that God wants you to see that he is drawing attention to his unique, specific love. Unlike any other love, unlike any other love that you have ever had for anybody or anybody has ever had for you, that his love is revealed and shown and proven and it is the love displayed in giving 
His Son. Now, many of you here have children. You have some idea what it's like to have love for one of your own, one of your own offspring. And the amazing thing about this story is I don't think any of us in here would want to give up our, our son or our daughter for even the most righteous and good person. Which is precisely what Paul says here. One would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might dare to die. But what's amazing is that God gives up his beloved son Not for people who are righteous and good, but for who? For the weak, those who can't save themselves, for the ungodly, those who have rebelled against him and said, I think you're crazy. I want to do my own thing. I know better than you. For people who are sinners, who have missed the mark, who could care less about what he says, and who are his enemies. God has shown and proven his love for you by sending Jesus to die on the cross. And notice here, I want you to notice that Paul is speaking to a doubter. He is speaking to you and me who struggle to believe this because he wants you to be assured of his love. In verse 9, he says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What he's trying to show you here, what God begins, he finishes. When God's grace breaks into your life, you can be absolutely sure he will never let you go. God here is dismantling our doubts. But not only does he show it and prove his love, notice verse 5. How do you know that hope does not put you to shame? Verse 5, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Now, when he talks about God's love being poured into our hearts, he is not talking about your love for God. He is talking about God's love for you. What I want you to see here is God not only shows and proves his love to you in history and sending Jesus into the world to suffer and die and rise again for sinners. He wants you to personally taste it, to personally experience it. How does he do that? When you put your faith in Jesus, when you are converted, when you become a believer in Jesus, God pours out his spirit into your heart. He pours his love into you. And not some generic love. He pours into you his love proven in Jesus. Because what does he want you to know? He wants you to know his love for you displayed on the cross through his son Jesus. Now, 
We're in a position now to ask an important question and to notice something from this passage. What is the chief mark of a Christian? Look here in verse 2. Paul says that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings. Verse 11, we rejoice in God through Jesus. The chief mark of a justified believer is joy. Now, here's the question for us. What if you are here today and you are joyless? And you are cynical? Or you're full of doubts? What does that mean? Does that mean that you're not a Christian? It might. It might mean that you've yet to understand and to believe this good news. To receive God's free gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the question is, have you ever seen your need for this free justification? That you are weak and cannot save yourself. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever accepted that truth? That it could mean you're not a believer and you need to be converted. But what it also could mean is if you are a Christian and you are joyless and you find yourself cynical and you're full of doubts, here is. God, by His grace, speaking to you words of tender hope and confidence. Because what He's telling you is, look at the cross of Jesus. Look what I've proven. Let me show it to you again. Let me lift your eyes from the cares of this world and help you to see my love for you. And even more than that, do you see My great desire is to daily, regularly pour out my love into your heart so that you would know it, that you would experience and know beyond any shadow of a doubt, I love you. And it's not because you're so great. It's because I have done everything necessary to put you at peace with me, to welcome you into my favor and to give you joy of a future and a hope that can never be taken from you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that as we look at this passage and it's full of profound truths, truths that we we never move beyond this side of heaven or even once we are united to you in perfect communion forever. We ask that by your spirit, as this passage teaches, you would pour out your love into our hearts. That you would persuade us that to be justified by you, to stand in your presence, to be accepted by you, means that you will take care of us no matter what we face the side of heaven. And when we do face things that are hard, how Jesus assures us that you are at work and that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us and you will never let us go. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.